Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sex Sales Podcast, the podcast where a comedian talks to a relationship therapist. I hope you're doing well. Uh, we are going to be talking about stressful family relationships today. We all have them to some degree, some to a much higher degree than others, but uh, we're going to talk about how to navigate these, uh, when to choose yourself over the uh, stressful family member, usually the manipulative family member, and what to do in that situation. But uh, before we get into that, Eliza, how are you doing? How's your week been? Good, for the most part. I've actually injured myself like 12 times this week, so um, my body is rattled but a couple of dislocations it's all happening now a couple of a casual couple of dislocations i know i know yeah so um just a casual tuesday morning dislocated my knee (laughs) yes but other than that um yeah well i mean that's kind of been the moral of my whole my whole week's been taken up by that um so it's been great but how's yours been Wow. Well, I'm sorry to hear. Are you, are you in pain or yeah. are you just so then, used to this now that... <laughs> yeah, it's actually been like um, like the dislocations I used to get back when I was like 12. So like the little pop in, pop out or pop out, pop in. Uh, but the hard thing is it's not when I... Like they used to happen when I was playing netball or strenuous activity. Now it just happened when I sat up in bed um, the other morning because both my legs were cramping. And my shoulder dislocated at the same time, just sitting up. Um, so that was that was shit. And then it happened again um, in the same day. Um, and then two days later, I had like this crazy. Sorry, my Bluetooth speakers huh? were speaking to me. That scared the shit out of me. That's um, God. But... That's God giving <laughs> you a signal. Yeah, literally. And then um, I took. You know how I have um, obedience training for Nelly. Yeah. Um, this crazy thing happened when I took her to a class, which is this woman that does it on her like farm property. And as we were all walking into the property, cause it's like 9am sharp. So we're taking Nellie's on the lead, Adrian's with me, everyone's walking in. And this other woman that lives down the road was walking her. She has like, I think they're mastiffs, like the, the dogs that are as big as a great Dane, but they're like got the really like, they're fatter and they've got the big skin, like huge dogs up to her chest and she wasn't coming to the training. She just happened to be walking past and the dogs and I was looking at them. They were like, I, you know, they had giant bull sack as one the the girl dog had a stomach on the ground basically. And I was like, she breeds these dogs. They're probably really um, like unsocialized, be careful. And then as soon as I said it, it, the dog went like this giant dog went crazy attacking this tiny little Jack Russell cross and the woman holding the other two dogs was getting dragged. She was like 70, getting dragged across the gravel, bleeding everywhere. It was crazy. And then I'm sprinting to the woman to help her. And then I was like, wait, I'm pregnant. So I run back and I get Nelly (laughs) off Adrian and I'm like, go help her, get the dogs, like stop the fight or whatever. So Adrian goes over and then Adrian's helping her up and he's covered in her blood. And finally they break up the dog fight. And then that giant dog starts running to me and Nelly. And I was holding her standing by Adrian's car and it's like full sprinting, like snarling. So I just whip open Adrian's door and like 
I pick up Nelly. Nelly's a biggish dog. Like she's 24 kilos, which is a lot to pick up when you're pregnant. So I like slipped the disc doing it. And I was in so much pain. And then I get her in the car and this dog's still sprinting at me. And then this woman comes in and like stands in front to protect the pregnant woman. It was so heroic. Uh, but yeah, crazy, crazy time. All the dogs were okay in the end. The woman was not. Um, and my back was not. So... Yeah. How ironic happened outside a dog training thing as well. And the dog trainer was like, I've been trying to get that woman to come to me as a client for years because clearly she needs it. (laughs) That's morbid. So these giant dogs dragged a 70 year old woman across gravel. Oh, it was so scary. Like she was in so much shock. You could just see. She couldn't even talk afterwards and she had blood everywhere and she was so embarrassed because it happened in front of so many people and she was like, I'm sorry, sorry. And then just kept going on her walk. Like she didn't even go back home. She kept walking them just covered in blood. Oh, so sad. And I kept being like, are you okay? Like, do you want me to help you walk them home? But she didn't want to be near anyone in case they like attacked again. Sorry, I mean, anyway, I don't if you have know, a dog like that, don't walk three of them at the same time, especially when they're of that strength three. and socialize. Yeah, there was three of them. And they were all, well, I'm not exaggerating, like boob height. Oh, my God, my speakers. Can you hear that? I might just yeah, I can. turn it off. So, <laughs> That's all good. That's all good. While uh, Eliza's turning off her speakers and before we get into the meat of this episode, uh, this podcast is sponsored by Steady Freddy. Steady Freddy have a wide range of sexual health products for men. Their most famous product is the delay spray. Do you suffer from premature ejaculation? One in three men suffer from premature ejaculation. And this doesn't just mean you arrive in 10 seconds or 15 seconds. This could be arriving in eight minutes when you want to last for 16 minutes. So go ahead and get some Steady Freddy Delay Spray formulated by Dr. David Reiner. It's in a cute little bottle and they have a wide range of other products as well. They got condoms, they got wipes, they got ball boost tablets. Daniel's been taking the ball boost tablets and he says that they have dramatically increased the uh, quantity and most likely quality of his load. So go ahead and get some uh, steady Freddy Ball Boost tablets and delay spray. Use the code SEXCELLS, you get 15% off and make sure you, you read all the directions before you use it. We're also sponsored by Crush Organics. They've got a wide range of CBD oil and CBD products. I use the platinum oil. They've also got the diamond oil. They've got the everyday oil. They've got all your CBD oil needs. So if you wanna relax, if you want an easy solution to uh, feel stress-free while you're at work, while you're at home, if you've got stressful family members, go to crushorganics.com. Crush with a K, use the code Neil, and you get 40% off. Okay, well. That's a that's a morbid story. Uh, that poor <laughs> lady. I mean, what a trooper! <laughs> like she just kept walking with blood all over her. It's like some WWE shit right there. It was like it's so, everyone was so shocked afterwards. It was a. Um... Uh, like, are we talking like is she was the blood like profusely coming out, or are we talking a few grazers? And oh, she's seventy. It, it was enough to like you know, get all over Adrian's shirt as well when he helped her up. So I would say it was a lot. She was just in so much shock. Like she she obviously just couldn't register and she was so embarrassed. Like, 
Oh, it was really bad. Really bad. Um, oh, maybe she did. So she's, she breeds those dogs, does she? I, I would say so because they were all like undesexed and they you could tell oh, they had just had puppies. It's too much testosterone. Right? Classic. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, How well are if, you? She, if she's listening, um, there's a there's a elderly woman from the Central Coast that breeds Mastiffs listening. I hope you're doing okay. Yes. And um, be careful. Yeah. <laughs> one, one dog at a time maybe. Yeah, be, yeah, be careful. Get some of those cuts treated before yeah. they get infected. Um, yeah, I'm good <laughs> compared to that. <laughs> I'm fine. Everything's good. Um, yeah, uh, it, was, it was definitely like a period of flux last month and, well, the, the previous few months, but the, the new business is sort of settled now and it's just about selling those tickets. So um, if, you're in, uh, if you're in Brisbane, Melbourne, Newcastle, Western Sydney, Sydney, come see our show, comedyuntamed.com. And I'm excited now. It's uh, a lot less stress stressful. Um, I, wanted, I was going to go to a boxing fight the other week, but I was sick, which sucked. I wanted to, Aww. it was in Newcastle, and Newcastle Aww. to see uh, this big boxing fight. But I might be going to this really big one that's happening um, for the unified lightweight title in Melbourne. It's going to be huge. Probably the biggest wow. fight ever in Australia. So they want me to do a bit of content in the lead up to it. Um, so wow, that's very exciting. excited about that. Yeah, very, very exciting. So, yeah, things are good with me. Can't say I've had any um, dislocations or uh, <laughs> blood stories. So, yeah. Good. Going to have that's some gratitude there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Okay, so let's talk about stressful family relationships. Um, like I said previously, we all we all have some of these, and definitely some more than others. But um, I think it's all relative. We all have at least one family member that is uh, toxic and is um, torture to be around, and is always playing the victim, and is always guilt tripping us, making us feel like we're never good enough, and you know, not taking care of them or whatever it may be. Uh, but I, I definitely feel like this one is uh, this is an area of your expertise here. So uh, tell us about some of the different stressful relationships that people often have with their family members. What are some of the common ones? Yeah, well, I mean, what you just said is literally probably the most common thing. And it's often starts with... Um, a, a, a person going to therapy or doing, you know, some self-discovery or trying to better themselves. And in doing that, going down that journey, they're kind of realizing how much their parents um, impact them or how much influence their parents had on them growing up, which um, anyone that is interested in psychology starts to look very close, closely at how they were parented, which... You know, there's a lot of pros and cons um, in doing that. So I think that it's it's certainly been the most common theme is people wanting to explore themselves and understanding, you know, their relationship with their parents and then wanting to amend it, but also wanting to seek accountability from their family for what, you know, they were put through or what happened to them and things like that. So when I did... um relationship counseling they would always tell us the most difficult client you'll ever have is a narcissistic parent because you're never going to get those two people to work together 
ever um, because you can't work with narc- like true narcissism. So it's something that, you know, in that case, it's not about, that's one of the rare cases, you know, not every parent is narcissistic. Um, but it's in that case where it is, you actually don't want to be working therapeutically with the two of them together. It's more about actually working one-on-one um, with each person, which is interesting and helping the child usually to understand that they're never going to get that accountability. They're never going to get that apology. They're never going to get that um, acknowledgement that they're seeking from their parent. And when they ask for it, the parent is usually like, right, so I never sacrificed anything for you. I never did anything right. I'm a terrible mother, aren't I? And they just go on this narrative where then you have to be like, that's not what I'm saying. And then it turns into they become a victim themselves and the relationship breaks down because they'll never admit it. So it's a unique situation with this family dynamic in, in which some therapists would actually discourage people from approaching their parents about it whereas in any other situation with like friends or relationships you would be encouraged to work it out together and hash it out uh but when it comes to true narcissism there's almost like you need to either accept well you have to accept them as they are and can you have them as they are in your life or can you not and if you can't then you need to think of what boundaries you're going to be putting in place so it's a hard decision for that one for sure well, how do you know if it's true narcissism? Because it seems to be a common trope that uh, a lot of people our age will talk about how they have a narcissistic yeah. parent. And I can't help but wonder if, well, that person's exhibiting a little bit of a victim mentality there and saying, oh, look, everything wrong in my life is because of this parent I had when, look, parents are going to be imperfect. I I have no idea what it's like being a parent. I can only imagine it's a all-consuming, yeah. transformative experience and there's very little time for yourself to, to be able to work on yourself and you are sacrificing a lot. So it would be quite difficult, to say the least, to look inwards and maybe assess some uh, parenting strategies that weren't particularly optimal. Having said that, that's definitely not an excuse. Uh, but how do you actually discern who's at fault there and and how do you not um, get into the trap of just uh, blaming uh, either one parent or your parents for um, certain things that are wrong in your life when realistically they did the best they could and you're maybe focusing on their one bad quality or one bad trait when, you know, 99% of the time they they fed you, they, they took care of you, they met... Uh, the vast majority of your needs, how do you uh, differentiate from those two phenomena? It's such a good question um, and really important because that you're right in that a lot of people's love to say, my parent is abusive or my, oh, sorry, narcissistic, not abusive. People don't usually lie about abusiveness, but it's very common to say, you know, I have a narcissistic parent because I went through this and they never apologize, but it's actually not true narcissism. And a good example of that is um, it very commonly we see parent, children or even adult children saying, you know, my mother um, or my father or whatever was never there for me. And I barely saw them throughout my childhood. All I wanted was quality time. All I wanted was them to come to my sports game. They never showed up one single time. And I'll have forever resented them for that. And then from the parent's 
perspective, it was like I was working three jobs to make a living for you so I could support you. So it's really important that you work, I guess, with a therapist to actually unpack that. It's not, it's hard to not diagnose your own parents as being narcissistic or having narcissistic tendencies, but a therapist can work with you on that. Actually, I have a friend in therapy right now. Um, she goes for her anxiety and she's always said, you know, I think my mom's like a, a genuine narcissist and having that validation from the therapist was really um, important to her because the therapist was like, what you've described to me is genuine narcissism. And the therapist actually gave her a book. They gave her like all these quizzes, like there's things you can do uh, written by therapists and tools to say like, are you a child with a of a narcissistic parent? And, you know, it wasn't that my friend experienced her parents saying no or whatever or being kind of emotional. She was genuinely um, quite significantly abused by this parent and was the scapegoat of the family. So what we often see in these family dynamics is someone called the golden child or the golden children and a scapegoat. And it's the a very common thing that we see with a narcissistic parent is that they don't target both children it's only one um so it's really hard to for that child to be like no one is acknowledging what my parent was like because she or he wasn't like that to them so like for example my friend her her sibling was the golden child and was always celebrated and treated amazingly and very much like you're doing so great, like blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, that sibling, you know, hadn't ever left home, hadn't ever got a job, hadn't done all these things. And my friend was studying, working two jobs, like doing all this crazy work and never got that acknowledgement. So when she was trying to talk about, you know, the abuse that she endured in her childhood, everyone in the family was like, no, you didn't. And then it kind of like, it's almost like she's being accidentally gaslit, being like, didn't you see this? Didn't you see the slaps, the this, the the locking out, all these things that happened. And that's kind of a really hard thing. But that being said, you know, like I said before, we do often tend to want to blame our parents for things because it's easier narrative and it's much easier to put the blame on other people for relational issues than ourselves, which is why it's really important to unpack it with a therapist, go through it together and see, or even invite your parent to therapy and let your therapist tell you, yes, this is going to work with, you know, the, the lot of you, the whole family, or no, I think I need to see you individually and work through that as it is. So it's a challenging one. Um, and my advice would be don't, <laughs> don't diagnose them yourself. Um, and the other thing I'll add to that as well is it's really important to have some compassion for your parent to understand where they're coming from and and their experience as well because often you know like you said there's no perfect parents there's no such thing as a perfect parent no parent can do it all you know amazingly and be there the way that we want to be there for our kids and things like that uh, in a perfect world maybe um but we need to understand that our parents you know if they having the upbringing that they've had they were always going to be this way if that makes sense like anyone that has experienced god there's a saying that's like if you look at someone and you had the exact same life experiences as that person you would also be the same as that person so it's important to understand that 
you know, the parents have also potentially gone through things themselves or just lack understanding and you might not get the resolution that you're hoping from that. And it's a really hard thing to come to terms with because more than anything, you might not want, you know, everything to be fixed. You might not want all these grand gestures. You just want acknowledgement and you might not ever get that, which is hard. Mm. What about the other way around? What about a parent who has a, a bad yeah. child? Or, you know, that child then can become an adult and, and it's, a, it's a bit, it's, a, it's, you know, it's easier to avoid um, accountability when someone's under 18, but if that child then becomes an adult and is then, what if that relationship is reversed and flipped? How do you know if you're that child? Well, yeah, this is, that would probably be, I actually think the majority of, family therapy scenario is is actually the parent bringing their children in whether they be you know the age of a child or even adult kids um, coming in and what approach is taken then is is it's called systemic family therapy so the issue is never going to be one person or one child it's going to be the whole system um, so I see that a lot in my work where parents bring their children to me and say, fix him or her, he's got behavioral issues. That's like literally 90% of my job. I'm like, fix this kid, he's off the rails, do this. He's crazy or he's not going to school and he's a brat and things like that. And it's really, really a fine line for me to balance because you want to keep the parents aligned with you so they continue to come and see you and talk through it. But you also need to have them understand that this is everything that's happening within this family unit, you all hold a joint responsibility for. And there's impacts that you guys are doing that is is making the child be like this or vice versa. Not to say, oh, the child's misbehaving because of you, but everything kind of holds, um, you know, it's a, it's a cycle. Um, like one, one um, mother I'd worked with or one family I worked with had a, I think it was like 13 or 14 year old boy. And I this boy, I like really... Um, thought was a beautiful, gentle child, um, really sweet. And she would say like she, the mother was just so, um, I don't know if I put a nice word on it, but she would irritate him constantly, uh, nagging. She was nagging constantly to this kid. Do your chores, do this. He'd come home after like going to school, eight to three, get home at four, four. And then she'd be like, okay, you're home, you're in the door get your lunchbox out, walk the dog, unpack the dishwasher. How are you contributing to dinner? What are you doing here? And then this kid would be saying like, I never get an opportunity to relax. Like, I just want to sit for half an hour. I'm so exhausted. Like I've never played video games because she won't let me and all this stuff. And then they couldn't communicate and she would be like, he just is the worst communicator. I go in to address the issue and he will close the door on my face. He won't respond to me and he just shuts down. It's so disrespectful, like get it done now, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, after a long time, I had to work with this, this parent and really challenge the way she parents, which is hard, but by saying to her, you know, the way that you communicate isn't working for him and it's making him feel more drained, more irritated and more overwhelmed. And he's not going to talk back to you when he feels like the second he answers, she's going to list off 10 more things that he's either done wrong or 
done, you know, not done. So we kind of talked about, well, how can she was like, I want to get the chores done. And he was like, I want space. So I was like, how can we meet in the middle here? Like what, what's the middle? Um, how can you both get what you want out of this relationship? So it ended up being that we created like a chore chart and he would get the whole night to do it rather than when she told him you have to do this, whatever. So as long as it was done in that night, everything would be okay. But then she started complaining that he was doing things half-assed and he only walked the dog around the block instead of this. And it was just like... <laughs> like a this, married couple. <laughs> oh, it was like really like... And, you know, I having a mom, bless her, my mom, I love her, but she's an agger as well. And she's very like pedantic about chores and cleaning and things like this. I could so... I very much aligned um, with this kid. And I kind of, in the end of it, I had to go much deeper than let's do you do chores at this time and you communicate like this. And it really came to be about like, when do you show appreciation to your child? When do you show him love? Like when was the last time you said thank you or you've done well? And when was the last time you hugged or anything like that? She couldn't remember anything. She couldn't remember a time that she'd said, yeah, good job. Like great job on your test. She'd get like, you know, he'd get a B and she'd be like, well, you know, now there's room for improvement. So it was a whole relational breakdown. No, (laughs) (laughs) no, no, (laughs) she wasn't. Um, So, and he, you know, being a teenage boy, couldn't communicate that, like, I want to feel love from you or I want to feel appreciation. He, you know, he was embarrassed. He didn't want to say that. So I kind of had said that for them. So what I set up next was every Friday night, they go out for like a fish and chips, spend time, mum and him um do something together no chores at night uh walk the dog together or whatever anyway after like six months of doing this they never had they literally just it was like a whole different family and she it took all of that to understand the difference that she played a part in this because all she could see was what he wasn't doing but she would never pay attention to what she did do or what he did do um and i think that's a really strong basis for for my advice to parents is you need to be able to focus on their strengths and and build that strength up in them because when you focus on their strengths you build their esteem and they're more likely to repeat those positive behaviors but when you shut them down and you're saying that's not good enough or this this isn't done properly or you don't do this or you're really bad at relationships and things like that. These kids aren't going to, one, they're not going to come to you and two, they lose confidence in those things and she didn't realize what she was going to be setting this kid up to fail as an adult. He wasn't going to be able to function properly. So it's it's definitely the hardest part is challenging parents <laughs> in their way that they have mm. their parenting um, and it's harder even still when you're adults um, because parents still try to parent, you know, even now, like my mom tries to give me advice on, on babies. And I was like, well, things have changed in the last 30 years. Like that's not safe. Any, that's not considered safe or that's not considered right anymore. And she'll be like, Oh, well, I did. It's not like I raised two healthy kids. Like this is the debate her and I are having all the time these days. And, (laughs) and it's like, you know, the parent often thinks that they're right because one, they're older, two, they're the parent. And it's really hard to, sometimes I have to remind my mom, like, you know, you're speaking to me like I'm your child, which I am, but I'm also an adult. You know, I'm also almost 28 years old. (laughs) 
Um, and I've also been working in this field for nine years. So I do know a little bit about it. Um, it, it, it is hard and you have to communicate that sometimes, like speak to me like an adult um, because I'm no longer your child. Like you don't get to dictate what I do or my decisions. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. To put to put myself in a parent's shoes, which once again I I would have absolutely no idea about what the reality is like. But mm-hmm. as I said previously, it's such a transformative experience. Your whole life mm-hmm. changes. It's a full time job. You don't really get many days off. Well, most don't. If you're lucky, you might. And <laughs> if you're, you're divorced, <laughs> yeah. If you're divorced, if, you, if, if you're, you're rich, <laughs> you got a nanny. Um, if yeah. you got the grandparents helping yeah. out, but that causes more stress more often than yeah. not. So uh, you're constantly on edge. You know, you're you're having to deal with a crying baby all the time, a moody teenager. You've got your work going on as well. You're coming home. You're making dinner immediately. You're having to wake up early, make sandwiches. You're just in this constant state of what I can assume is maybe not stress, but just tension. I got to do this. Mm. I got to think about that. I got to. You're a micromanager. You know and mm. That uh, is not conducive, I, I suppose, to one, being as self-reflective as you possibly can and two, truly sitting down and just objectively uh, contemplating all your behaviour. And not only that, you are sacrificing a lot. When parents do say, I've sacrificed so much, yeah, they have. Yes. <laughs> They've sacrificed their life to uh, provide for you. So it, it yeah. would be an extraordinarily confronting thing and sometimes I can't help but feel like that. And this is not any disrespect to people who clearly have those sorts of parents but um i know i'm just reflecting on maybe how i thought about my parents when i was in my early 20s compared to how i think about them now and i probably focused on some of those negative behavioral traits and though i didn't explicitly use it as an excuse i think implicitly there was maybe i I would lean on that sometimes for some of my bad behavioral traits when realistically what they did was astounding. It was incredible. And for the most part, I've, I've done pretty well and I'm a, I'm a pretty good person, I like to think. So, you know, I, I, I'm coming back to that previous point I said, but I wonder how this conversation will change. Well, you're about to become a parent. I wonder um, how uh, your perspective may change if in, in 10 years when you've, when you've been a mother for 10 years and if I ever yeah. have children, how my perspective would change because I, I, I could imagine if there are any parents listening to this, um, they have the tougher job. Like it's, that's, pretty, that's pretty fair, I think. They, they have the tougher job raising a child for at least 18 years and completely transforming their life, having to deal with just little mundane, stressful things constantly all the time. And this is by no means the same, but uh, having similar aspects of that in, in, in my life when I'm managing a business and things like that. You are on edge all the time. You do get defensive when things don't go wrong, when someone doesn't do, do something that they're asked to do. You're like, why aren't you doing Like, I'm doing so much. Why aren't you just doing this one little thing? It's yes. just disrespectful. So I just want to make that point that I think um, you've got to just be just be careful of not not going too far into the like, okay, oh, my parents did all this and like, you know, they're the narcissist and I need to mm. actually have compassion for them. You should also be self-reflecting. I mean, I remember when I was a child, I mean, just talking about something we were um, conversing about a couple of podcasts ago about self-fulfilling prophecies in dating where if you believe a certain thing, you'll often act in a way that will subconsciously allow that to manifest. Now, 
I remember one time uh, where this came from, I don't know, but I specifically, I sort of half ran away. I didn't fully run away, but I, I hid and I ran away and I almost wanted to prove that, oh, they don't even care kind of thing. Um, but I remember distinctly thinking that, like I'm gonna specifically run away at a time where they're distracted and I didn't fully run away. We we're at this holiday house and I just kind of hid somewhere in the bushes or whatever. And then I, I was I was moody for the rest of the day thinking to myself, like, yeah, they didn't even care when I was gone. They didn't even care. But I did that even as yeah. a child. I have to I did that because I wanted for, for whatever reason, maybe there was some deeper seated issue or maybe I'm the narcissist. Who knows? But, you know, I, I was uh, behaving in a way that was uh, bringing about that behavior in them and these things are super complicated and uh i think it's good to reflect on what you were like as a child as well even though yeah you Mm. were a child there's only so much responsibility you can take there but i was a pretty bratty child you know i was uh i was naughty i was definitely uh, in i was i never did anything particularly malicious but i was always getting in trouble for making you know, mean comments at school. That was my big thing. I mean, I, nothing's changed really, but like I was always making mean, nasty comments and, and upsetting people. But then I never actually got in fights because I was really small. But, Aww. you know, I was, I was, a, I was probably a, a bit of a burden. And then once my mum actually took me to a psychologist saying, you know, he swears so much and he's mean and things like that, which I was. And at the time, I remember thinking like, oh, F you, mum, like you think I'm a naughty child. You just don't care about me enough and all these things. And like I, I, I had those thoughts as a child. Mm. So, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of maybe uh, egotistical children if, if anything when you're a child you you are more self-centered you're you know there's there's stories of uh, that children will throw tantrums just to see the reaction from their parents without actually being hurt or without actually uh you know having a, a true cause for that tantrum so um i just want to bring light to that That's, again not to discount anyone's experiences yeah. of yeah. you know truly um abusive parents there uh let's go into strategies of dealing with it now so as you say you know you you often have to decide okay this is a person that may not be able to reflect so i just either have to minimize uh the the amount of contact i have with them in my life but then often in in those situations there's there's a lot of tension and a lot of guilt tripping that's the big one um and let's also talk about other relationships and not maybe not just the parent and child maybe siblings or uh, extended family, um, maybe sort of strict cultures um, where, you know, they're expecting the child to get married at a certain point or they're just putting uh, an inordinate amount of pressure onto children, which it sounds like that previous mother <laughs> was doing. But uh, what are some effective ways to, to deal with that? Is it just avoiding it or is it just uh, having to come to terms with it? What should you do? Yeah, it's a good point. And you raise a really, really good point there actually about um, culture. And it's that is something that it's very easy for someone, you know, to be like, clearly this parent doesn't accept you for who you are, especially when we see, you know, LGBTI um, children from a strong cultural background. Sometimes that's not accepted or whatever. And I always am like, oh, my gosh, your mother or your parents don't accept that you're gay. My instinct is to be like, you need to separate from them. But it's really like it's culture 
plays a huge, huge part in someone's life and their connectedness to culture can be so important that it's not it's not like it's easy for anyone, but it's especially difficult when, you know, that there's that underlying aspect as well and you're growing up with mm. with that understanding that this is what my family is like and these are the expectations of me. Can I just, and they get uh, just told to me, yeah. Jump in there very quickly. A, a quick point I want to make is uh, uh, the collectivist cultures that are actually the norm throughout the world and it's just the West that's a much more individualistic culture. Now, I think that's a good thing. And a lot of my yeah. parents, uh, my dad and my um, uh, maternal grandfather actually moved here because they really appreciated the individualism wow. here. But, you know, just little cultural differences. Like I know a lot of uh, Anglo parents when the child turns 18 it's you know get out or like you got to pay board um whereas that just doesn't happen in yeah. uh ethnic households there's a duty to the family like you're why are you doing this why why are you swearing it's not just bad for you you're, you're bringing shame to the family why are you mm. pursuing this career are, are you gay imagine what the um my sisters are gonna think when 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 they find out it's this sort of collective guilt that is um, thrust upon the individual, which is, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's not easy. We'll say that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's a good point. Collective guilt, I think, is really important. I remember I worked with this um, girl and she, she was a bit older than me, so she's probably like 29 now, and she was unmarried at this point, um, and she's Arabic Muslim, and she wasn't, she lived with her parents, and she wasn't allowed to, like do anything and I would be like hey do you want to come out here on the weekend she'd be like where is it what's the date what's the address what time frame who's going to be there like I need to check with my parents and things like that and I was like why do you have to check with your parents and it just blew my mind and then she started um dating someone and she well she had to call it courting and she had to introduce the idea to her parents prior to even going on a first date with him her sister and her cousin went with her to the first date and sat with them and she wasn't allowed to see him alone until they got engaged and this was someone that you know I worked with and I was friends with and it blew my mind where I could see how many restrictions she had and it bothered her so much because she would get so angry about it and it was so hard to not just be like, well, just like, fuck them. Just go like, go on the date. Like, <laughs> who cares? And, it, you know, there's, you have to understand, I guess, and, and be neutral in that there's a part of people's lives that we aren't going to understand. And especially in a parent-child relationship, you know, in my field of work, I work with children specifically um, that have all come from abuse or neglectful homes with their birth family. And despite, you know, some of the most significant abuse stories in Australia, um, <laughs> they want to maintain and they want to get that and they want to have that love from that, their parent. They want to have that relationship and then they go and see their parent and it's this ongoing cycle of abuse. And then they see the parent, the parent does something horrific at every visit and they come back to me sobbing screaming crying i hate them why'd they do this <sighs> and it's so hard because i so badly sometimes want to say like it's so unhealthy for you to do this every week and the way they treat you is so terrible but also you know it's very innate in us to desire nothing more than our parents love and acceptance so these kids 
choose mm. to go back every month or every fortnight to see those people. Um, so it's, you know, there's there's that end of things and there's also the end that you're talking about before where, you know, some children um, are, are bratty and difficult and it's it can be because they're spoiled. It, be, it can be because of, you know, hormones. It could be their upbringing. It could be just their personality types. And we can't blame everything on parenting and we can't say, well, that kid's like that because of you. Um, and like, you know, you made a really good point that parents can be really, they work so hard, they sacrifice so much. And they're like, literally the only thing I ask of this kid is to make their bed every morning and they can't do that. Whereas I have to do a list of 180 things a day for this child in order to like, you know, mm. help them, um, survive and it's important for us to reflect on that as adults and understand that when we feel frustrated you're never gonna all parents are gonna yell at their kids or get angry at their kids or discipline their kids in some way whether it's gentle discipline or boundaries or timeout or whether it's you know never condone physical abuse or things like that or physical discipline but all parents are going to put boundaries in with children and we can't be like my mom stop me from going to a party when I was 16 and I, you know, I'm 31 now and I still don't forgive her for this because of the trauma of now my socialization doesn't work. Like things like that is, is providing a narrative that puts us at as a victim. So it's really important to understand both sides. And if you're really struggling with a parent relationship or a family relationship, that's why you have to go to therapy to understand, like, is it, is it just your perspective? Is it your experience or is there things? And the other point I wanted to quickly touch on just to mention when you said, you know, about how some kids have tantrums for no reason, like in, in therapy, we would say that every single behavior serves a purpose. And often that purpose is to get attention from these parents. And, you know, I work a lot with kids that do these really um, terrible behaviors that are breaking the parents heart and these these parents are trying so hard they're bringing the kids to therapy they're they're so worn out because this kid is exhausting them with all these behaviors and then it comes down to something as simple as they have a newborn girl and the kid is jealous because he's not getting enough attention um and it's like <laughs> every yeah. <laughs> behavior is serving a purpose for this child but children kids getting bullied often that can be yeah yeah nothing to do with the parents just at school yeah 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 exactly so you just have to that's the hard thing about being a parent is you can say well yes oh my kid's being difficult and it has nothing to do with me but almost as a parent you're you're obligated to psychoanalyze your children and understand well why are they being like this and what's what's beneath this and what's actually happening here and what's going on for them and often there is a reason and a reason they're seeking this attention and kids don't have the brain development to do that in a healthy way and say, Hey mom, I really want more cuddles from you. So instead they're going to draw on your walls and key your car, (laughs) Um, which seems, you know, counterintuitive, but that's the way kids rationalize things, unfortunately. Uh, But anyway, so strategies. I I think that's adults do that too. I mean, they won't specifically do the key. Well, some will key the car, but uh, yeah, you you often see that sort of behavior. It was just a bit more subtle, but that's a very human thing. That is like, you know, the one thing that I've always found interesting about relational therapy, like within a couple, is how much you almost need to treat it like 
you would with a toddler. Like, you know, when you're like, when you do this, it hurts my feelings and mommy would love if you do this. Like that's what you say to your kids or whatever, not in such a condescending tone, but you know, that's exaggerated. But you almost do the same in relationships. Like, oh, when, when you yell at me, it, it makes me feel afraid. And when that happens, I shut down and I can't communicate. And I think we need to mm. instead like speak to each other in gentle voices or I find that I get triggered at this, whatever. It's the exact same way as you communicate. <laughs> to to children so it's an interesting overlap um and there's so much behaviors that we see in toddlers and we on you know we learn the psychology of it and then we're like well actually that applies to adults as well it's just displayed in a little slightly different way it's super interesting (laughs) when i learned i did psychology and then learned children's psychology afterwards and i was like hang on this is the same like there's no there's nothing here really that's different pretty much um, hey spooky so if you ever get lost just think what would i say to a little two-year-old right now like how would i address this with a little baby (laughs) um not that you should parentify (laughs) your partners because that's never good that's that's always bad um but yeah i think also like you said there's a whole other aspect of sibling breakdown or even harder when there's two people in your family having like significant conflict and you're just there having to deal with it um and wanting to know i actually have people message me about that sometimes being like there's a huge relationship breakdown between like my mom and my brother or my parents or my uncle or my dad and how do i fix it and it's so hard to be like well you know it's i can't just say it's not your problem you can't fix it because this person is dealing with it every single day having to deal with the aftermath of it having to listen to their mom or whatever rant about it constantly that it's impact someone else's drama is impacting their life so that's that's another big theme that comes up in family issues all the time i see Mm. that's a very tough one because you you know i assume you love these two people and you see them their relationship deteriorating and seeing them at their their worst it's horrible to to witness that and Mm. to feel powerless in that situation as well uh to to the point where neither party is willing to budge and they're both being very obstinate in in their uh conception of how this tension occurred and neither is willing to give any ground to the other person and sometimes those relationships just become untenable in fact that's most breakups whether they're familial romantic or professional it's neither party is willing to give any ground to the other person and sometimes for the sake of the relationship maybe even if you feel like that that person doesn't deserve it you try you could you could you know say look i can see that and i'm willing to admit this but can you admit this but even then it often doesn't work and you don't want it to get to that point and that can be a build-up of resentment over time just little things and it's it's always good to name those straight away and yeah. not let those sorts of things you find with up. family drama that it does it builds up for years and years and years it's like a 10 years of resentment before someone finally says something or sometimes even a whole childhood actually my massage therapist was telling me that I was asking her how she got into um like massage and things like that and 
were talking about being healers or whatever. And she was saying that as a child, she uh, she grew up in like Samoa, I think, or Fiji. I can't remember. Sorry. Um, but she she had like a really severe liver issue or she didn't have – something was wrong. She had chronic illness as a child basically and she had to spend her entire childhood, literally years, living inside a hospital. And she – yeah, so from like 9 to 19 – or even younger, eight to nineteen, or something, or seven to nineteen. She was in in a hospital until she was finally released. And she, once she was released, she never spoke to her parents. And she went her entire life being so angry at her parents because they never once, or well, maybe once or twice, but they never visited her. And she sometimes would go periods of two or three years without seeing them and she was like you know i i was born with this illness because of my genetics from you guys and you just ship me off to this hospital and you don't see me like it was so heartbroken she held so much anger about that her whole life where she's dedicated her life now to making others feel good and feel okay and you know being a massage therapist etc but what ended up happening was at and when she was in her 30s, she decided to address it with her parents because she was like, I need them to take accountability. Like, I've, I've just held this anger for so many years. I want to tell them. And basically, the parents said that, what do you mean? Like, you know that the hospitals weren't letting us come. Like, we were there every week and they wouldn't let us in. They told me they like they told us they told you that. Um because they thought what? it made it harder because when we the couple times we would go in a year you'd be so upset afterwards you'd be crying for weeks screaming for your parents that they were like it's just easier if you don't come um you know when she's crying it's hurting the liver it's hurting this and all this stuff it's making her more unwell because she doesn't just cry for days she cries for weeks and weeks it sets her progress back and her healing journey or whatever so they weren't letting these parents into the hospital and she, this woman went her whole life thinking my parents just didn't want me and they just left me there. So it was just this really interesting um, and sad story about you know, there's two sides to everything. And the parents were going there even like after seven years, they were still going there every week trying to go in to see them. And the, and the nurses oh. would be like, oh, we're telling them you're coming. We're telling them you're here. Yeah, we'll take the biscuits to her. Yeah, we'll take this to her and just never did. Crazy. Wow. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God. Twist of you fate. must have so much, so much built up. Like, now trauma. it's the nurses. Why didn't they tell her? Well, I, I, know. I, I mean, I, if, it, if, it, if she was crying for weeks and the nurses were so exasperated, they're just like, oh, just, just, yeah, we'll, we'll tell her or something, but still. Yeah. yeah so and she was, was she's like 50 situation. years old now. So it was like, you know, a long time ago and sure things are different. And, you know, it wasn't it wasn't in Australia, so we don't know what the resources were like. But it's um, it's really sad. And what's what's interesting about you know her, um, and we talked about this a little bit in our podcast about stress. But even though she's a remedial masseuse and she works in oncology and pregnancy and basically like with uh, people that have chronic illness, and she herself has so much. Um, so many issues in her body with like bone health and she has arthritis and she's got like organ failure, all these things. And she's like, it's the trauma I stored 
in my body um, that was just held there for so long. It's made me sick. Um, so it's uh, a crazy thing that we don't, we often just don't, we forget about and we don't make that connection. But yeah, so mm. she spent her whole life now trying to help other people release that and release, build up tension and things like that. It's wild. Yeah, I, uh, this is loosely related, but it's a common quote, but it's so profound. It's uh, people won't necessarily remember what you say or uh, how you act, but they'll remember how you made them feel. Yes. And there's yeah. nothing that is uh, more, more relevant when it comes to these sorts of relationships, but uh, everything, every interrelational human aspect, it's people will remember how you make them feel. And yeah. I read another book, I think it's called um, Why Buddhism is True. It's a great book. And uh, there's just this passage in there book. that I put. It's a good book. There's this passage yeah. that is in my, one of my Instagram stories. And it's just, it's stuck with me for years that uh, it, it articulates it so well. It's like, okay, no human ever tells the full objective truth. What often happens is, you know, we minimize certain things. We amplify various things to make us look better. And we often don't do this consciously. And then every time we recount the experience based on our narrative, we then subtly change it even more mm. to a certain degree. And that I believe there's a, there's a link there to like how, how that instance, how you were made to feel in that instance that you may be recounting or uh, how that person that you're describing made you feel. And it's good to yeah. be just hyper aware of things like that and um, at the same time uh, just understand that if you do have these sorts of uh, family issues or, or uh, just stressful relationships, regardless of whether they're family or not, um, be very conscious of how you're describing just little things how you think about that family member how you uh may recount a particular instance and uh, our uh, well like you said the body keeps score but also our mind is just going to be far more there's there's a disproportionate amount of mental storage space that's going to take up uh instances in let's say our childhood that were uh, an anomaly uh, from from the baseline emotional level, right? So for most people, 99.9% .9 of the time, it was just your classic, you come home from school, you have whatever you have for afternoon tea, you have there. It's just normal. there'll be little instances of stress here and there, you have a little argument, but what you're gonna remember in 10, 20 years is that extremely happy day where your parents took you to that jamboree or whatever it was that changed your life and it was one of the happiest times of of your childhood similarly like if there was just this end of the world fight and maybe there was abuse or whatever it was that is going to hold a disproportionate amount of storage space in your mind and body and there you, you sometimes have to reflect on okay what was the, just the day-to-day -day experience like in these sorts of relationships and definitely yeah mm. stay tuned for our podcast next week because i feel like we'll be going into that kind of avenue a little bit more actually what's you know what's interesting is like i think that first of all you're 100 right but in this very unique circumstance you know how i was talking about how my friend was seeing th uh, a therapist and you know was kind of discovering her mom's narcissism and the abuse she mm. went through and how her whole family kind of like denied it because she was the only one being abused and they would be getting so much a a love and attention and whatever from that parent 
Well, um, she was having the opposite issue where she, in her mind, was like, well, no one sees it. No one agrees with me. Uh, I don't think this actually happened to me. Like, she had the opposite narrative where she was starting to be like, I must have exaggerated it. That wasn't the truth and blah, blah, blah. And she actually recently took her dad out and she's like, I need to know for my own sanity, like, what what did you see because over the years you've been telling me like stop being dramatic like get over it it's not a big deal that didn't happen and he actually said like yeah everything you remembered that's exactly how it happened and i hated watching it happen to you but i couldn't bring myself to admit that that was what happened to you because it made me feel guilty so he was telling her none of it happened and she was confused for basically her whole life because of it um so in, in that special small circumstance sometimes based on our own personal histories we also discount ourselves. and actually that's one of the um things is in this book the body keeps the score is that and this is only for people that have trauma not for just the general population but people that have significant trauma is that they can no longer trust their gut instinct because their gut instinct often isn't right. They either perceive everything as a threat or nothing as a threat because their threshold for, you know, pain or abuse or whatever is way too high so that when they see, you know, um, mild abuse or like subtle manipulation, they don't see it because they're like, well, that's nothing compared to what I went through. So it is interesting how like, trauma can skew your understanding of what has gone through to you where you can downplay it at times as well or for the typical person without trauma you probably do the opposite and you escalate it being like you wouldn't believe it and then he he punched me but really it was a shove you know those kind of things like that subtle and to the people that replay those narratives in their head it might not be as as drastic as a you know punch in the face versus shove it could be something so subtle but you actually uh begin to recreate a new narrative based on the story you're telling to others that that becomes your new truth so it's a interestingly <laughs> difficult thing sometimes when something happens to me that's significant I literally write it down <laughs> It's in a journal straight. It's like my trauma journal. Just kidding. Um, but I write it down. So I know this is exactly how no, I perceived <laughs> it <laughs> in, in this moment. Like this is exactly what happened to me because I do, I find that I do the opposite, like genuinely, generally, sorry, I am an optimistic person. So after a couple of months or a couple of years, I will look back at an event. I'll be like, actually, like, I know I said, like, this happened to me, but it wasn't that bad. It was pretty good. That person was going with something like I wouldn't consider it like an assault or whatever. And then I go back and I like read, okay, I'm writing this on the night of this event where this happened and seeing it exactly how I remembered it on the day. And I'm like, okay, fuck it was, <laughs> but I just kind of, you know, create a new narrative over time. Like, yeah, actually it wasn't a big, big thing. Um, so it's interesting how we tend to do that, whether it be to either make ourselves feel better or sometimes you escalate it to feed your ego to be like the craziest thing happened but yeah an interesting point oh we you no know, i'm reading a book about that now we, we we tend to create a narrative around what will serve us in the long run so if we feel like the 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 uh hmm, how can i put this if we can sort of exaggerate or 
amplify some of the things that have happened to us and that we feel that subconsciously that may serve us that's how we will reframe mm. the narrative and vice versa so it's uh, a scary thought to think about that basically everything can be subjectively interpreted and you know and, and people in another country will be listening to this conversation and rolling their eyes thinking what the hell are you guys talking about you you have this incredible country where everything um no one's starving other than if they're you know like they don't need to be starving and yeah. you're sitting there complaining about a mother that was a bit strict um yeah. so this is all very relative and mm. i do uh I, i'm always on the side of you know the 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 narrative we give uh whatever experiences we may have had will actually influence the way we even physically react to it and sometimes it's it, it's a tough one because like let's say hypothetically there's someone who's grown up in a in in the, the most coddled uh just free of any tension uh environment ever then the slightest disagreement the slightest criticism is going to be world ending for them and they yes. are going to crumble and and that's a situation where look the the norm and the community would ha- would be saying look you you need to get over that it's not as bad as you're thinking it is and vice versa you have someone who grows up in an extremely uh horrific environment then suddenly it goes from a 10 out of 10 of horror to a 9 out of 10 and they think exactly. oh this is amazing like what are you guys complaining about whereas the, the, the community and the collective wisdom would be saying, no, that's still pretty terrible. So, so much of this is relative. So much of this is subjective. So much of this is the way we interpret it. And like you say, it's probably a conversation for the, for the next podcast. It's going to be all about overthinking, which is uh, something I'm an expert at. But uh, <laughs> I just think it's good to, good to still mention that and, and, and note yeah. that. But uh these are these are definitely issues that we we all deal with to a different degree, and it's uh, important to uh, have a variety of uh, inputs and opinions, particularly uh, a professional input and opinion. And mm. uh, they're not easy. These situations they're they're often yeah. very complicated. Yeah, agreed. And I guess to wrap it up, when people are like, okay, but what do we do? Um, and I know I mentioned a couple of times before that, you know, usually when we want to address something with a family member, whether it be a sibling or a parent or whatever, we want to get that acknowledgement from them about what happened. But I think that you also need to go in and be prepared and open to receiving, you know, ha- hold the space for them to speak about their experience and hear their side to it because you might be being like i'm nagged all the time and your sibling or parent might be like i just i never get anything from you you don't contribute to you know the family unit or whatever because you're a stubborn teenager or whatever so i think that it's really important that you allow not just this is an opportunity for me to speak my truth, but I need to hear their truth as well and understand their perspective and what's going on for them and try and meet somewhere in the middle being like, okay, I understand like this is where you're coming from. Is it going to help if I do this? And in return, I really need you to communicate with me in this way or I need you to be conscious of this. Um, so it's you have to go in with a 
mindset where you do have to put your ego aside a little bit and you have to allow them to contribute um, their ideas as well. Because if you go in being like, I'm just going to speak my truth, it's not going to work in your favor. Mm. (laughs) They're just going to get defensive and shut it down and further validate your frustrations. Yeah, yeah. Analyze how much control you actually do have over a given situation, over a different person and uh, a good... uh, I think empowering way of thinking about things that you may find very difficult to actually change or alter, such as a narcissistic parent, is to ask yourself, well, how can I ensure that I don't do this to to my children if I ever have them? How can I also ensure that I don't go the other way? Because that Mm. is often what happens. Somebody is one extreme and then the child goes the complete other extreme and and creates even more problems. So uh, how can I best... uh, uh, reflect on this and ensure that I, I I don't become that or the antithesis of that. And uh, yeah, um, thinking about the way you, you, you frame these things, but talking to uh, other people like friends and, and family, mem- family members that maybe aren't involved in, in the situation itself. And then of course, yes, uh, professional help is always strongly recommended uh for a situation where you know two other family members are in constant conflict and fighting that's a that's a very difficult one that it's there's actually quite a limited amount you can do um and sometimes it's good to just well first of all take care of yourself to it to a degree where you know it's not mm. it's not completely ruining your life it is going to be stressful and then you can try to be the uh either the force of arbitration there and speak to each person individually but i don't know my personal experiences even when you try to do that they're both just often too stubborn and you can say look i can see that perspective can you see from their perspective i can see yeah. that things. And you don't want to play mediator i yeah. think the only thing you can do on that is decide in that situation is decide how much how many boundaries you want to put in place and what are those boundaries and I think mm. that speaking of boundaries with family issues, you have to be really conscious about speaking or, or not speaking about it, but getting advice from fa- friends. Um, because what I often see from people that true, have a really positive relationship with their family is you might be getting literally, you know, verbally, emotionally abused by your parents and your friend will be like, that's your dad. Like you can't shut your parents out. It's family. So then you're encouraged to continue to subject yourself to that. So I think it's really important that you understand what your personal boundaries are. And yes, you can advocate for yourself. You can communicate. And if things aren't still aren't progressing in the way, like I said at the start, it's really up to you to say, okay, if this is how they're going to be, I either have to accept that and be able to, progress with our relationship with the way they are or if i can't accept that then i need to put boundaries in place um, mm. rather than try to make them change if they're not going to i want to make a point about that uh specific strict ethnic household <laughs> that you know often is culturally conservative in those situations i think a good piece of advice is uh, if you're still uh if if, if you're an adult and, and I, like i said we like you said we're, we're all always going to be seeking some form of validation from our parents they're our primary caregivers but you can work on your self-esteem and and your confidence to the extent where you need far less of that validation and there's a certain inner confidence at least i can only just reflect on my personal experiences a certain inner confidence that comes with that 
they often can observe that inner confidence and they stop treating you like a child because mm. you then become an adult in their eyes and it's not to the extent where it's complete dirt off the shoulder but it clearly doesn't perturb you as it may have previously and you, you do need to become a bit of an individual in that situation I, I am more on the side of look all right if, if your strict cultural parents are, are going to be you know putting all this ridiculous pressure on you and not doing it in a nice way and 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 doing it in a very in a very domineering way it's uh it's a challenge but it's uh i think a, a time for you to 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 become that hero i guess of your own story and your own narrative see it see it like that and it's not yes. just about standing up to them and yelling at, at them but like showing that you are on the right path and that you are living your own life and eventually uh they they will be able to observe the respect that you have for yourself and that will then usually manifest in the way they treat you as well but again that's not that may not be applicable to everyone in that situation but i know not just in 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 my uh situation but in a few people who have similar experiences that that has been a a really a a fruitful endeavor yeah exactly actually just a quick example of it like a very mild one but i often have women and and um young teenagers sometimes or just even adults females coming to me being like my parents always talk about my body being like don't wear that swimsuit it's too revealing or like this this style of jeans or shorts is unflattering your cellulite's showing and i always encourage them to just say like don't like I'm an adult like don't speak about my body that's that's really uncomfortable when you comment on my body um and kind of question like why would you do that if they're not going to say that to a stranger they shouldn't be saying it to you and I think it's a hard thing about parents you know we we it's hard to make them understand that they can't continue to tell us any piece of information that might be you know offensive because we're their children um and the same for family members, you know, we have an auntie or a grandparent sometimes that says things like you shouldn't do that or what I actually my grandparents used to say to my ex-boyfriend, why are you a scientist? You'll never make any money, <laughs> like not even joking, being really rude about it. Um, oh, and don't scientists it, make he- heaps of money, don't they? No, oh. <laughs> they don't. Um, depends, depends which uh, corporation you were. I'm, I'm sure if you work for Pfizer. Yeah, yeah, bank. true, true. Um, that's a good point. I think he was making spot on average. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Well, another one is, okay, if someone's going to have those opinions about what you wear or how you live your life and things like that, look, that's going to happen. Like, We can't, mm. I, I do uh, to some degree agree with uh, maybe that boomer sentiment where, you know, they'll say, oh, look, these, sometimes millennials and Gen Z want everyone to agree with them all the time and to constantly feel safe. People are gonna think like, okay, what you're wearing is bad, or you know, you you doing that job is dumb, or you you know, you pursuing that path is stupid. You do have to, in some instances, I I would say, well, become an adult and and say, look, all right, you're allowed to think that way. What, be inquisitive. Uh, why do you think that? You know, my grandmother was your typical Indian grandmother. Like, why are you doing comedy? You can't make any money. When are you gonna go into engineering or whatever? And I'm like, yeah all right agree yeah. to disagree like yeah you can have that opinion i don't care 
<laughs> I think it depends how much it impacts you because there are certain things that are people are going to say dumb shit to you and you're like, cool, whatever, you're old or you can have that opinion, that's outdated or that's just wrong, I don't care. Um, but there's certain things that it really... I think like when I reference the comments on the body for some women that really like it hits you in your soul being a woman and that's, you know, what you're told your whole life. It's like what your worth is and all these things and to hear it like negatively constantly, you don't have to subject yourself to receiving comments like that because they're boomers. So you can say, you know, I don't want to hear it cool, keep your opinion to yourself. Like, I don't appreciate those comments. And then, like I say, but, as always, if they do it, then it's up to you to determine, are you going to sit through it? Um, and can you put up with it? Or is there a boundary you can put in place? But I would even go further and say that sounds, when someone's like, cool, that's your opinion. I don't want to hear it. That shows defensiveness, which means they're still- Not to say it though, but just except, to think like, it. Hurt by like, it. So, uh, yeah, look, I don't know what that's like. Uh, mm -hmm being a, a woman obviously but uh if uh even if it's an opinion that you find really disconcerting so look at this with political opinions so some people might be very anti-immigration or something like that in my personal experience the best i've found like okay like i want to get to the bottom and then i'll treat it like i would any other opinion that i'm inquisitive about and i just sort of ask about it and i try and understand it and, and, and then I think, okay, all right, you've said your piece, I might say my opinion if I want to. Cool, yeah, other than that, nice to meet you or whatever. Like in that, some but circumstances, yes, but in others, like if you, let's just say you're a gay person and when someone says to you, I don't accept your, I don't accept your lifestyle, you don't always have that, you can't put yourself in the mind space to be like, or the head frame to be like, yeah, let's hear about that. Like, tell me about your views. Like to them, to you, that might be so morally crossing a line or so offensive and hurtful that you could just be like, look, I don't want to hear your thoughts on this. And I don't think that we're obligated to give someone, um, you know, space to speak their views on why they hate a certain community or hate something about you in, if you don't want to. Like, it's always good to be coming from a place of curiosity like you do if you can and it's not going to like really really rile you up and make you more hurt but if it's something as simple as like you always comment on this it makes me uncomfortable can you stop and they can stop then good um and i don't think it's in my opinion i think it's like a a millennial thing to do that maybe it's a millennial thing to cry about it every day or whatever and like not understand why etc but i think that we don't have to be subjected and we can't just, you know, allow people to say whatever the fuck they want because they feel like it, you know, like it's always, it just depends on how it makes you feel. If it's something that truly bothers you, like I get 20 comments a day about being a vegan and I don't care about that. And I, those are the, that's a situation where I'm like, cool, let me hear your point of view. That's cool. And, and they'll say all this shit about, well, bacon. And I'm like, yeah, fair. Okay. I don't care. Um, and, but if someone says something that was like really personal to me, I I just, I might not be able to, it might not be the same. No, yeah, I don't yeah. think everyone's able to either. Mm. Uh, and I know some people would definitely have it worse than others. And mm. I'm not trying to, you know, doubt anyone's experience there or, or raise questions. But I, I, 
I would just say it's good to strive for that. Uh, and yeah, even in a situation where someone may have malicious views towards a community, like what I was saying before, everything when it comes to human relations is relative. And I uh, also think the way you maybe make that other person feel may actually influence their views. But yeah, it's it's. It, I suppose for uh, a lot of people, particularly in some unique groups that's taking on quite a heavy emotional burden but i I i'll just say if if you're sort of capable of you know trying that it it, it's worth a shot in in my experience but yeah okay i I acknowledge it's not it's it's probably a different load for different people yeah and i think the the differences as well as to me is um i could easily have that mind frame with mind i keep losing my headspace or you know what i mean with the general public or anyone else but with when it's with your family it's probably something that these people have fought about for 10 years and heard the same shit for 10 years um so being curious about it every time you know obviously if it's the first time you've heard something that you find is kind of insulting yeah like talk about it have a conversation but if you've been subjected to 15 years of hearing that same comment from your father or whatever that bothers you every time you should say something and be like i don't want to hear it so somewhere in between the two points there yeah but i mean if they're that if they're that dumb that they're like they keep saying something that's clearly just like a dumb thing to say well then maybe you do have to bite the bullet and leave i know it's harder like we said but it's just sometimes i hear these people talking about the strict ethnic parents and and i do wonder like all right you can you don't you're not that obligated to see them all the time like yeah you've been brought up in the society that tells you this is the norm and this is what's pure and moral but you don't you have to think that way like you're allowed to question the way we think about everything and culture and and other people as well so uh maybe bite the bullet and just leave then and and stop seeing them um but Sure. Mm. These things are complicated. Anyway, I feel like we could keep going here. So yeah. uh, <laughs> it's to wrap, wrap it up. <laughs> um, uh, thank you for listening. Uh, go and follow Sex Sales Podcast on TikTok and Instagram and follow Eliza on Instagram as well and TikTok and follow me if you don't already. Come see me live, comedyuntamed.com and we'll see you next time. See you next week. <laughs>